I uh, thank you. I love that man. You're very, very fortunate. I've known Matthew and Arlene longer than you have, a lot of years. And uh, I've watched him. From the first day I met him, I knew he was anointed. And you know how much I love Northland. And that the two would come together just blows me away. You've been through some hard stuff. I know that. Matthew has too. You support him. Pray for him. But let me tell you something. You haven't seen anything yet. God has plans for you. And it's going to be fun to watch. And I'm glad you're here on such a messy day. The Bible says that if you come to church on a day like this, you get three free sins. <laughs> now, I'm not sure where it says it, but I'm a Bible teacher, and I know that it does. And besides, you're way behind anyway. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we're here, not because we're good, but because you are. We're here, not because we're good, but because we're yours. In this place, may we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. And Father, as always, we pray for the one who teaches. Forgive him his sins, because there are many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Do, do you remember where Jesus found you? Maybe it was a bar or a, maybe a brothel. Maybe it was a church service. Maybe it was the middle of the night and the demons came and you were scared. Maybe you listened to the preachers who told you that God would love you if you loved him. So you read the Bible and you prayed and you worked at it. Oh God, you worked at it, but you just couldn't do it. Maybe you were lonely. Maybe, maybe you did something really bad and you knew that God wouldn't accept somebody like you. <laughs> and then with tears, because you had hoped for so much more, you turned and you walked away. And that's when you heard his voice. Welcome, child. Welcome. But that's been a long time ago for some of us. 
time passes, so whatever you're going through, you'll have the past to look forward to. Time heals, I suppose that's true. Time distorts, too. But let me tell you something else. Time deadens. Sometimes in marriages. Sometimes that job you were so excited about at the beginning. Sometimes a church you just found. But time passes. The 51st Psalm is my favorite psalm. So real and raw. And David is dying. And he's done something that he never thought he would do. But it had been a long time since the giant. It had been a long time once they found him out in the woods and told him he was going to be the king. And at the beginning, he was close. And I suspect that God said to David, you don't come here much anymore. And I miss you. Time deadens. And then he fell. And he says in the psalm, my sins are ever before me. And then he cried out the theme of this series, maybe of your life, certainly of mine. Oh, God, restore the joy of my salvation. Matt asked me if I would talk about restoring awe because of God's favor. The text, Luke 2, 14, talks about those upon whom his favor rests. The King James Version of 1611 says goodwill. And the English Standard Version says shalom and peace. But however you translate it, we're on the good side. We're on the good side. Let me show you something interesting about Scripture. If you spend much time in the Bible, you'll discover that God gives the bad news before he gives the good news. In other words, he describes the problem, and once you're sufficiently wiped out, then he brings the solution. And you can't hear the good news often until first you've heard the bad news. But in the Christmas text, the solution is presented and you have to extrapolate the problem that is there. The problem, of course, is you and me. But God had a problem, too. You say, wait a second. God doesn't have problems. God's sovereign. God's awesome in himself. God can do anything he wants. Well, actually, no. He can't do anything he wants. For instance, can God create a rock bigger than he can lift? While you're thinking about that, Let me read the short version of the Christmas story uh, from Matthew. 
it goes as follows. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, my. What about God's problem? God can't do some things. He can't violate himself. He's the great I am, the great I was, and the great I will be. He is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. And the theologians call that immutability. He will never change and he can't change. God, God can't create and not create at the same time. And in that statement I gave you, and the question, it was a word game, but it's kind of profound. No matter what you say, you limit either God's creating power or God's lifting power. And so this morning, we're going to talk about God's problem. But before we do that, I want to go down one side road and point out something important about Christmas. And that is, it's supernatural. Angels are supernatural. Babies are not born to virgins. Stars don't lead people by going across the sky. Wise men don't come from other countries. God doesn't enter time and space that way. It's supernatural. I love theology. I really do. I love propositions. I love doctrine. But I'll tell you something. When you're cold at night, it won't keep you warm. If you love it, it won't love you back. When you have real needs, can't help. Take something more than that. I remember the first time I encountered the miraculous that was definable and solid and I can touch it. Our daughter Jennifer, and she's here this morning. I saw her somewhere. I see her. Our daughter Jennifer, when she was born, had a leg that wasn't getting nourishment and wasn't going to grow and a blood count that was, I think I've told you this, was rising rapidly. 
They'd called in specialists that were going to take her to Children's Hospital in Boston. The doctor said, Mr. Brown, you ought to pray. I didn't know how to pray. But I met some charismatics, Anglicans, a couple of weeks before. And I went to them because they were the only ones that I knew. I, I would have gone to a witch doctor. And they prayed. <laughs> it was quiet and clear. And Anna called me the next morning and said, did anybody pray last night? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, the doctor came in early this morning and said, this is miraculous. The blood count's normal. And we're not worried about the leg. Oh, my. Questions? Oh, you wouldn't believe the questions. How come me, when people who really love God, babies died? How come God would do that for us when I don't know anybody who sins more than I do? I don't, I don't understand, but I praise God because of it. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I know some of you are going through tough times. Needy and lonely. What do you do when your doctor tells you you got terminal cancer? Or your daughter announces she's not your daughter anymore, she's your son. What do you do when your wife tells you that she doesn't love you anymore and she leaves? What do you do when you lose your job and you can't make the mortgage payment? What do you do when your world rolls over on top of you and you were just sitting on top of it? Read a theology book? No. You go to a God who is sufficient for your need right now. Jesus told me to remind you about that and tell you not to forget. All right, God's problem. What is God's problem? Okay. How, <clears throat> how do you love somebody who doesn't know you exist? When I was in junior high school, I was in love with this girl who didn't know who I was. It was puppy love, but it was real to this puppy. And in my mind's eye, I worked out a scenario. We had a drugstore on the corner, and for those of you who are young, in the olden days, they had a fountain, and you got Cokes and stuff at the fountain, and everybody gathered at the local drugstore, and she and her friends were there often. And I decided what I was gonna do is get two Cokes from the fountain. And then being very swathy and a boner, I was, gonna, I was gonna walk up to her table and place one down in front of her, drink a little bit of mine and say, we need to get together sometime. I got through half of that, I really did. I went to the fountain, I got the two Cokes. And then as I was walking, you're getting ahead of me, as I was walking across the floor toward her table, I tripped. 
and I spilled Coke all over the floor and all over her hair and all over her friends. Ah. She, she knew I existed after that. <laughs> How do you love somebody who doesn't even know that you exist? How do you love somebody who, if you think they do exist, they think you're a monster? A number of Christmases ago, and our granddaughters are here, uh, they were going to some Christmas presentation. I wasn't. I'm Scrooge. Um, but they were going to go, and they were going to be late. We were having dinner, and the kids were playing with their food. They're little girls. And uh, their mother and their grandmother were saying, girls, uh, hurry, or we're going to be late. Don't fiddle with your food. Do it, or we're not going to get there. And I heard this for a long time, so I finally said, and if you haven't noticed, I have a wonderful voice. It's better than yours. <laughs> but it's deep and it's scary. And I said, girls, look at me. Got very quiet. I said, you eat your food, or I'm going to break your face. <laughs> And Christy, who was here, looked up at me, and I can see it in my mind's eye right now. She said, oh, Pops, you wouldn't break my face. <laughs> but they ate their food. <laughs> how, do you, how do you love somebody who can't love you back? John said we love him because he first loved us. Duh. It had to be that way because we don't have that kind of love. We're too ego-centered, too filled with ourselves, self-love. But loving a God we never met, that friend is impossible. So how do you love somebody who can't love you back? How, how do you love somebody who doesn't deserve it? That was God's problem, and it really was. Did you know that God is predisposed to show us favor? Aquinas said this, the cross of Christ did not secure the love of God. The love of God secured the cross of Christ. In other words, when you look at Jesus and even the baby in a stable, God has been that way with that kind of love from the beginning. So if a long time has passed and the fire is beginning to flicker, if God doesn't seem so real to you anymore, if with David you had prayed, oh God, restore the joy of my salvation, or if you wandered in here and you don't know him, listen to me, and I'll teach you all. How do you do that? Well, first you remember that Christmas didn't start at Christmas. 
My friend Jill Briscoe, in one of her books, says that when Eve took the forbidden fruit and the juice dripped down her chin, Jesus prepared to leave for Bethlehem. 1,400 years before the birth of Christ, a group of nobodies in the middle of the desert living in tents with their animals and smelling got the weird idea that there was one God and that they were his people. They were wanderers. Some scholars say the etymology of the word Hebrew means that, to be a wanderer. They were nobodies. And then they began to develop, and nobody understands this. They were living in a sophisticated country, an area where there were cultures not like their nothing culture. They developed the highest form of ethical monotheism the world has ever seen, and nobody understands where they got it. And they began to move down a corridor of time. Some six or seven hundred years before the birth of Christ, there was another culture. It's called Greco-Roman. With the Greeks, there was great architecture, incredible philosophy, profound. And then when the Romans came along, there was peace in the Western world. It was called the Pax Romani. There was a common road system. There was a common coinage. There was a common language. And for 600 years, these two themes of human history, Judaic, Greek, and Roman, ran in parallel lines to one another. And at one time in human history, they crossed. And at that very moment, Jesus of Nazareth was born. Had he been born 20 years before, you wouldn't be here this morning. 20 years later, you never would have heard his name. A coincidence? What are you, a fruitcake? An accident? No. A reflection of a God who before you were ever born, before he hung the stars and hollowed out the valleys and built the mountains, he thought of you. He loved you. He was preparing for Bethlehem. And if that doesn't restore all, you're dead. They just haven't buried you yet. But there's more. There's, there's not only Christmas past, there's Christmas present happening right now and in this place. You've heard me pray often that we would hear the soft sound of sandal feet do you know that we can? Hebrews 1.1, in a bunch of ways, God has spoken to us by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us 
with his son, a baby. Do you know what Christmas is? It's a time when God comes without threatening you. Does God scare you to death? If he doesn't, you've missed a reality. If you've, been, if you've never stood before God and been scared spitless, you've been worshiping an idol. But at Christmas, a baby. I'm afraid of a lot of things, but babies, no, not so much. They're cute and dirty and self-centered. But they're little and they're sweet and they're fun. And sometimes when I see a baby, I'm attracted. And if that baby is God, I'm going to be blown away. What's God doing? He's restoring by his favor your all. You know what he's saying? He's saying in the simplicity and the quietness of Christmas, y'all come. All y'all come. I won't bite you. I'll love you. At the National Museum for the Arts in Belgium, there's a painting there by the Flemish artist Bogel. It's called The Census. And you can Google it and look at it. It's an incredible painting. Uh, it's the middle of the winter and the crowd is gathered in the town square for the census. And since it's called that, you think Jesus ought to be there somewhere. And you look and you can't find him. And then all of a sudden, at the foot of the painting, off to the right, there's a mule. <laughs> and a man is pulling it. And a woman is pregnant on the donkey. And when I saw it, I thought, he got it. That's the way he came. Came quietly and simply. And he says to you, when your fire is dying, when it's not so much fun anymore, when the weight of religion and rules and do this and do that is getting you down and you can't do it anymore, or if you've never come to him, for God's sake, it's a baby. You come. Y'all come. And do it quickly. Because babies don't stay that way. There's Christmas past. There's Christmas present. But there's also Christmas future. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not so much bothered when pagans take Jesus out of Christmas. I get that. I'd do the same thing if I didn't know him. But what bothers me is when Christians sanitize Jesus and make him into a baby who stays a baby. Have you ever seen those parents who coddle their children? And as the children grow up, they think the world owes them a living and they look for safe places and there aren't any safe places. People do that to Jesus. Keep him in the cradle 
and he can't do much damage to what you want to do. Keep him that way. Mary, Mary, did you know that that baby grew up and hung spreadable on cross beams on the town's garbage heap, and he died cold stone dead, and that dead man got up and walked. He ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father, preparing for another advent. I don't know. I don't know about you, but we live in a time that depresses me. It's hard to watch the news without being suicidal. I mean, there's so much hatred, and a lot of that's directed at us. There's so much dark and division and stuff. But at Christmas, when sometimes we wonder if we're going to lose this thing, remember that Advent isn't just the first one, it's the second one. And in the end, that baby grows up. When he comes back, get out of the way. <laughs> in uh, Mary Robinson's very good book on the Civil War, she tells of a battle that was going on <laughs> down by the ocean in South Carolina. And there was a man who was probably deaf who didn't know it was going on. So he made his way down to the dock and he was stopped by the Union troops. And they said, where are you going, sir? And he said, I'm going to check my lines. <laughs> and they realized he didn't even know there was a battle going on. Earth-shaking, mighty, world-changing. And he was going to check his fishing lines. You can do that with Christmas. The warm feeling that you have is from him. The joy that you feel in the back of your mind when you sing the carols, that's from him. Don't miss it. You come. Y'all come. God had a problem. He sent a baby. Problem solved. You think about that. Amen.